Welcome to Fathering Excellence, where fathers of accomplished people share their parenting insights. This episode, I am excited to be talking with Pete Wentz, father of his namesake son, Pete Wentz. Pete is the bassist and lyricist for the Grammy-nominated multi-platinum rock band, Fallout Boy. Their long list of hit songs include Sugar, We're Going Down, Dance, Dance, Thanks for the Memories, Centuries, Uma Thurman, and a song that has a fatherhood theme to it called She's My Winona. They've won a list of awards too long to name, but among them are People's Choice Award for Best Alternative Rock Band, an American Music Award for Favorite Alternative Rock Band, and tons of MTV awards, including wins for Best Group and Best Rock Video. Pete and his siblings, Hillary and Andrew, are fortunate to have Mr. Pete Wentz as their father. Pete, the father, is a terrific guy. He's a family man and a working man. Currently, he works at APCO Worldwide, a leading independent public relations firm that has a focus on public affairs and crisis communications. In this episode, we talk about a variety of topics, including managing TV screen time, providing kids with the latitude to be individuals and express their personalities, and we talked a bit about some of the distinguished friends and relatives of the Wentz family. Before we get started, as we approach the election, I'd ask that you please consider the importance of voting. Regardless of who you vote for, what's most important is to vote, by or before November 3rd. About a week after Election Day is another important day, November 11th, Veterans Day. And as a veteran myself, I appreciate it when people thank me for my service. I served, as many others did, to defend our freedoms that we're so fortunate to have in this country. The foundation of all of those freedoms is our right to vote. When you actively participate in our democracy by voting, you're thanking and honoring everyone who has served their country, including the memories of the many men and women who gave their lives so that we could have this precious right to vote. So please, make a plan. Exercise your most important freedom and vote. And enjoy this episode with Mr. Pete Wentz. I'm Jonathan V, and this is Fathering Excellence. Well, thank you very much for finding time to talk today, Pete. I've really been looking forward to it. Much looking forward to hearing about your fathering relationship with Pete and with all of your kids. I believe that you have three kids. Is that correct? Yes. Another son and a daughter. And they're both younger than Pete, I think? Yes. He's the old. He's the oldest. Uh-huh. So before we talk about the Wentz household and, and parenting, have you had an opportunity to attend any of Pete's Fall Out Boy concerts? And if so, what's that been like for you to see your son up there on the stage performing in front of all of those people? What's that experience been like? It's pretty interesting. I've, I've been going to his concerts way before Fall Out Boy, and I would go to, you know, he was with a band and they played in a in a club that was a converted bowling alley, and I was clearly the only person there in a tie listening to him. And that would be like in the afternoon show or something like that. So um, it's probably <laughs> one reason why we're hearing aids these days is I didn't use ear protection at the time. So um, <laughs> the first time that I saw him, well, I, I went with the band. Uh, they did an early tour of England and that was kind of fun to go to. And 
hear them and, and hear in the early, the early days of the internet. So there's a song, Where Is Your Boy Tonight? And then typically what would happen is the lead singer would sing, Where Is Your Boy Tonight? And in America, they would all say, I hope he is a gentleman. And it was interesting to go over to the UK and have the same thing happen. It just shows interesting. Showed the early power, I think, of the internet and its effect on, on music. But I think one of the most memorable ones for me was early on, and they played in, in Camden. The feeling is similar. I don't know if you have this or had this or not. Is when you watch baseball on TV, you don't have a sense of what it's really like. And then you get to the stadium and you walk up the steps and all of a sudden there's the field, and there's everything. And yeah. it's eye opening. Yeah. Because that's not what you expect. So that happened to me when, so I'm going up the steps into the stadium in Camden and to see all these people in the band and all of that stuff. And that to me was pretty thrilling, pretty exciting. And obviously they played since then, you know, famous venues from, Wrigley Field, the Madison Square Garden, to the Hollywood Bowl. So, so that's got to be quite a, a different experience from the bowling alley, walking out onto the field at Camden <laughs> right. and seeing it filled with people and your son and his band right. up there on stage. Rolling back the clock, what was the Wentz household like when the kids were young? We lived in the same community we, my wife and I live in now. It's a suburb of Chicago called Wilmette. And I think we were a relatively typical family living in the North Shore of Chicago. Were both you and your wife working at the time? Well, Peter was there, and even a little bit when my daughter, I was working, my wife was not. Then she ended up becoming head of admissions at the school where where Peter graduated from. So, But it was after he graduated before she went to work there. Uh-huh. And what line of work were you in? I spent most of my career as a lawyer. I was a general counsel of a company for about 20 years. Then I went over to Northwestern's Law School and worked in the administration and also taught a course, which I still teach. Uh huh. And then about 15 years ago, I joined this firm that does a lot of work specializing in crisis management. And so with companies in litigation, and they're trying to figure, well, what do we say to the media? How do we get our word out there? And I use my legal background to help them figure out strategy and tell the story they want to tell and things like that. My experience has been, the, at least the people that I've known who are lawyers, it's a really busy occupation. Was that your experience? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. Maybe a number of the lawyers you're familiar with probably work in law firms and things like that, which is really more challenging from a work-life balance because you're really at the beck and call of clients and you don't have the opportunity to maybe spend more time with your family. So I, I went in-house and became general counsel of a company where you would work hard, but you could balance doing stuff with your family. So I, I hired somebody to come work for me who was coming from a law firm, and she says, I have a five-year-old son, and I've never been home on his birthday. And I said, well, I guarantee you, you'll be home with your son, your son's sixth birthday. That was the lifestyle I wanted, but more more being with a company suited my own personality, my own interest. So I was able to coach soccer with all of my kids, coach baseball with all of my kids. Oh, that's and, terrific. And what was the home life like at the Wentz household? Did you have any family rituals, uh, things that you would all do together, particular activities? I think most of the time we would, until the kids got to high school, we'd have dinner together mostly every night. You know, we had a rule, which you could never enforce today, of no TV during <laughs> on school days. Um, <laughs> that had been the rule in my family growing up and in my wife's, and so we, we made it our rule. 
I had tried to institute that in, in my household. I used something called a TV allowance for a little while where my son could press in a code that would allow the electricity to go to the TV and he would have a certain amount of TV time he could use per week. Lasted a while. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Are there other things that uh, you would do together, vacation or other particular activities? Yeah, we pretty much did a family vacation in the winter, and then we would go to upstate Wisconsin, kind of like a, it wasn't really a camp, it's kind of like a camp in the sense that every family had their own house, but then you went and ate meals communally with the other families who were there. And there were people who would come like we, I don't know, we must have gone for six or seven consecutive years and we would go there and be the same week where other the same families would come those same weeks so you kind of got to know those people over the years oh that's nice and you mentioned you've got three kids Keith and a a boy and a girl what are their names daughter's name is Hillary son's name is Andrew what were they like as as youngsters Pete and Hillary and Andrew they're very good kids in the sense that they didn't get themselves into a lot of trouble in school or elsewhere. And I think particularly Andrew and Hillary, because they're closer in age, you know, bonded a little more. But they all, I think, looked up to Peter. And since he was the older and learned a lot from him and also learned maybe from if he got in trouble a little bit, they'd know what to avoid. And so thinking about fatherhood specifically... How did you approach it? It's a fairly broad question, but how did you approach fatherhood? Did you have any particular parenting philosophies? I asked my wife and I chatted about this briefly. I don't think either of us would specifically have philosophies. I think you learn from how you were parented, the pluses and the minuses, and you try to avoid some of that. So when I was growing up, my father was also a lawyer. Well, the way they teach law, the used to teach law, they use what is so-called Socratic method where you learn by asking questions or responding to questions. And I guess Socrates, that must have been the way he taught or something. So in the early days of law school, the idea of the faculty would be to grill you. So if you were on the hot seat that day, you would say something and they would just say, well, what about this? What about that? What about the other thing? And so by the end, you'd be pretty worn out. My dad did that a little bit with me growing up, which probably helped me become a successful lawyer. But that's the kind of thing I vowed I wouldn't do. I I did it a couple of times and I looked around at the family and they were aghast at what was going on. And I quickly (laughs) realized that that wasn't what I wanted to be doing. So you kind of learn from that. I think I was pretty tolerant of what they and what they wanted to do. And there were some occasions where they would ask me, can we go do this? And it'd be something that I would think to myself, you know, my wife would never let them do this, but sure, go ahead. Mm. And invariably, it came back to bite me almost every time. They would go do it. It would cause some kind of ruckus or whatever. She would find out. And I would say, you know, you know, I, was, I wouldn't quite swear to them, but I probably did, saying, I let you guys do this, and you really let me down. I said it jokingly <laughs> but because they knew that they'd come to me for permission that she wouldn't have given. And then they knew that it came back around to, and bit to not work out for them. <laughs> Did you and your wife have overlapping roles in the parenting and household responsibilities? I think she tended to be, and it varies from family to family. I've heard it go both ways. She tended to be more of the stickler for some of the legitimate rules, and I tended to be more easygoing about it. 
And I think you have to work that way because you can't both be one or both be the other, or there's no guidance whatsoever to the kids. And so I would always back her up, but we might have conversations later about maybe we should have handled something differently. Yeah. Did you do that purposefully? I don't think it's a conscious thing that that I did, but I think we would have a conversation if I let them. And again, I apologize. I don't have examples, but if I said they could do something and she might say later, are you sure they should be doing that? And then the flip side is if they came in late or did something not overly naughty, as the term would be used, she might want to say, well, we should ground them for this or that. And I might say, no, I don't think that's we need to do all of that. So I I think it worked both ways for us. Right, right. It it sounds like even though it wasn't a conscious effort, though, that you and your wife still made a a point to have sidebars, I guess, to use uh, my limited legal vocabulary (laughs) to talk about how to approach things when you weren't around the kids. And the other thing I think that, that we both agreed on is that there's stuff that we might have fought with our parents that we would never fight with our kids. Things like what they wore, hair length, all of that kind of stuff that were big fights that we would have had with our parents. We didn't have. I mean, we let them be individuals about how they, you know, Peter would wear mismatched Argyle socks for occasions, all that stuff like that. And it was just, that's just creative personality. But you know, we wouldn't ever say, no, you can't wear that or do that. that we just, we weren't going to fight. You'd mentioned earlier, a lot of your uh, approach to being a father was informed by uh, your father, that you may have took some things right. that worked well and, and made a point to not do some things that you felt didn't work well. Are there other things, thinking back on on your experience are there other things that you incorporated into your approach as a father or purposefully stayed away from? Not so much. I don't think staying away from, I think I've, I've laid out some of the ones that I did, you know, and I think that, that what, what I've learned from and always, if there was an issue and part of that was this, the lawyer in me, I think is that if there was an issue to try to have a conversation of about, right, of a, about it rather than kind of just, let the kid know that you're mad, but not tell them why, which my father did a little bit of that. And uh-huh. um, I would look at it. And I think also my approach, you know, when they got grades, I was more relaxed about if the grades weren't where we thought they should be, we're more relaxed about trying to get them improved versus being more of disciplinarians and requiring them to study extra hard or saying you can't go out or this or that or the other things. So we, you know, we really trusted the kids and they all, you know, my younger son and, and daughter went to very good colleges. Peter is incredibly smart and he was, went to DePaul university here in Chicago for a couple of years. And then the band kind of took off. So I think that approach to learning worked because we didn't reward them with money or anything else. So they got good grades and we didn't, go crazy if they may have not had a good grade here or there. Mm-hmm. The three of them are voracious readers. I'd heard that about Pete. That's great. He was on that old show. I don't know if you ever, I don't know if you ever remember. There was an old show called Cribs where, I don't know, it was MTV or somebody went to quote celebrity houses. And, and he said, he says to the camera, I'm going to show you something you don't see on Cribs very much. Books. Here are books right here by my bed, and I actually read them. That is terrific. That's great. <laughs> I understand he's a he's a bit of a writer as well. I, I heard uh, read that when he was young, he would write books about robots, and he's done some writing uh, later in life as well. 
Yeah, he and a friend, I can't even remember how old they were now, five or six or ten, wrote stories and they put them in a wagon and they would go door to door and try to sell them to people. Oh, um, that's great. So, you know, and they were they were they were a little bit of fantasy kinds of stories. But and then as he was going off to high school, you know, he would write stuff for high school that, that I, you know, I would be blown away by that how good and how creative and how interesting it would be. He'd show me the stuff and ask me what I thought and it was just really terrific. That's wonderful. So and, you valued your opinion quite a bit. And uh, yeah, and my, and my other kids are the same way. I mean, they they turned out to be very, very good writers and very creative. Uh, I've been struck by, in addition to Pete's obvious success as a musician and lyricist for Fallout Boy, he's also uh, a bit of a entrepreneur. I'm wondering if you were seeing glimpses of that at a young age as well. It sounds like going door to door selling his his books might have been part of it. Is that is that something that you saw in other aspects of his life? As he discovered his love for the music business, he did what you would tell anyone to do of any age, is he networked. I mean, he would go drive 100 miles to some concert just if he could get backstage and meet somebody who could help him get to some other level that he would want to get to. So he drove all over the Midwest to shows and other things. He and the band weren't overnight sensations. They really had laid a bunch of groundwork with people in the Midwest in the industry. And then obviously would broaden his influence to, to New York and Los Angeles. But, you know, so every once in a while I sit, you know, somebody said we sit down and my, and my kid wants to get into music and I would talk to them about a little bit about how he did it. And again, this was pre internet where today anybody can record a song and then try to get plays on YouTube and then maybe try to get, get a contract somewhere. Obviously you couldn't do any of that back then. You had to kind of know people and figure stuff out. And, and that's what he really would do. Do you know where he picked that up? Do you know how he learned to do that? Was that something he learned from other people connecting in the industry? Is that uh, I think he just I think he just had that within him, the desire to really be successful with his creative passion. And 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 you know, I, I, I don't think I or anyone can really take credit for that. Obviously so that we take credit, it would be more that we've allowed it. At what age was he showing that kind of creative press? I would say right at going into high school. Uh in music, it sounds like from a, a storytelling perspective, perhaps much earlier with his his writing, but from from a music perspective, he was showing that going to high school. Right. Was he playing an instrument then? Right, and, and it took him a while, I think, too, to figure out what genre worked best for him. I mean, he started out very much with heavy metal and, and a couple of bands that did that, and then I think as Fallout Boy started to emerge, it allowed him the creative outlook to write lyrics that appealed to the audience that they were going that they were going after what kind of musical influence did you bring into the family oh we had a piano and the kids all took piano lessons so they all know how to read music but uh -huh. he really picked up the the guitar bass guitar and really that's what he's played ever since uh-huh when you see that interest in your kid do you feel like oh i see a flame here that i should fan or, or maybe just sit back and watch where it goes I think on the music part, starting with the piano, I don't necessarily tie the piano to where he's been today, but I think that is one where if we pushed something, that might have been something we pushed a little bit because I think we both, my wife and I, thought it was something that we missed doing and would love to be able to do. And so we thought at a pretty young age, like five or six or seven, that they ought to 
try to be exposed to the piano. And then for him, he kind of just picked up the bass because that was what he, he wanted to play. And he took lessons and all of that kind of stuff. But he's really self-motivated on this. I, you know, I, and I, you know, everybody says to me, were you his lawyer or his manager or whatever? And I said, not really. I was his father. And I, you know, I, when I could weigh in, I would weigh in on things that I had some expertise on. But short of that, I, I didn't weigh in too much. Outside of the uh, the occasional traffic ticket, what what might have been an example of the type of thing where you would weigh in? <laughs> well, I'd get a speeding ticket, so I'd have to. Uh, there's one place I had to go, something in Indiana. I had to go with him to court, and the, the judge said he was going over 100 miles an hour. And I said to the judge, "I know this car, judge. It can't go 100 miles an hour. <laughs> I, I don't care what this cop says." <laughs> But the other thing that I did early on, and I was the band's, I don't know, treasurer or whatever, and I was just, it's, it was fascinating. So they would go on tour, you know, they'd be driving their own bus or their own van with a with a cargo trailer behind, and they would come home with garbage bags full of cash. I would end up taking the garbage bags to the bank, and I'd sit there with a teller who would have a money machine, and she'd be putting all this money through the counting machine and depositing it in their account. So literally garbage bags full of cash. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Going through high school, were you ever providing any sort of career coaching or I guess fathering uh, counsel in terms of, you know, you might want to consider this or that, or were you letting them find their own way in terms of what it was that they wanted to do? I think for all of them, it was that I don't think Peter really kind of knew necessarily what he wanted to do when he was in high school, except I, he knew I, that he didn't want to take probably a traditional career path. And like so many people up where we live, where people become lawyers, doctors, investment bankers, MBAs, whatever, uh, that really wasn't something he wanted to pursue. So we would have discussion. I said, the reason just I, I push you to kind of get in and, and school, I think he found a little bit boring. Except if he found courses he liked, he did great. He did great on courses that he was kind of bored and he did less well. And I just, my view, what I said then was my view was just to have you do as well as you can. So you have the options to do whatever you want to do mm-hmm. when that time comes. And that was really my, my primary guidance. Cause I, I think he didn't yet know where his creative outlet was going to be. Yeah. That's great advice. You'd mentioned that uh, you were pretty laid back, you know, relatively speaking, in terms of grades. They didn't have to be all A's and uh, pretty flexible in terms of what they wear, et cetera. What, what challenges did you run into as a parent? What were some of your harder moments? I think we're pretty good about not threatening them with discipline without following through. So we just didn't make arbitrary promises, arbitrary things. Like if you keep doing this, you're not going to watch TV for a week or something. We just wouldn't say those kinds of things just because we would really i think we're pretty conscious about if we were going to provide some kind of discipline we would carry it out or at least start to carry it out then we might not end up because otherwise if you say something to discipline a kid but they know it's not believable like you can't watch tv for a week or you can't play with your friends for a week or something like that they know that you don't you can't carry that out they know you don't even want to carry it out, so they don't believe what you're saying. So we tried really hard not to make outlandish promises that we knew we weren't going to keep. Right. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, I remember him in high school at some point. I can't really remember what incident they did, but it must have involved a cafeteria or something. So three or four of his buddies and he were told they had to sit at a separate table away from everybody else. So these guys come into school. 
they set their place with, with a tablecloth, napkins, a candelabra. I mean, Peter did this and his friends, candelabra and everything else. They said, well, this is our table now, you know. So <laughs> they turned what might have been a might have been a punishment into something that the rest of the school was kind of envious of. <laughs> uh, I've heard Pete reference having a challenge that resulted in him going to uh, boot camp, as he put it, for a little while. Can you speak to that incident? How, how did you and your wife think about that decision? As I said, I, I think he was not as disciplined at school as maybe he could have been, and, and someone had suggested this this place to go. And I think after much discussion for for I don't know for some period of time in the summer, and I think we regrettably I think sent him off, and I think it was not a very good experience for him, and so that's something we regret. So that's something that for parents that are considering something like that, is there advice that you would well, give? You have to really look into it. And I think you really have to listen to your kid when they're there. And I think, you know, he may have sent us a signal that say, I need to come out get out of here. And we may have not been as, as we may not have noticed that as quickly as we should have. Uh-huh. Well, thanks for speaking to that. I, I think that it's good for other people to hear that that might be a decision that you would not repeat so that they can avoid that potential pitfall. Right. What's it been like for you transitioning to parenting adult kids and how did that play out maybe over phases? So when when they become technically adults at 18, perhaps more still involved as a, a parent or counselor and then perhaps less so over time or, or how, how did that evolve for you in particular? I think it has evolved to, to being more of a, a counselor. I mean, not as much with, with Peter as with as with my because he was, by the time he was not much over 21 or 22, he was pretty well on his way to being where he is today, even though it was going to be a while. But I remember him, I remember me asking him, how will you know when you're successful? And he said, well, Dad, there are 20 bands out there that would die to have this contract that we're signing tomorrow. So even though at that point you couldn't see success, you saw the recognition that people in the industry were giving the band and so from that standpoint, obviously, it just multiplied to the success they are today. So, you know, we talk from time to time about we don't talk too much about fathering because he has he's doing his own thing with his kids. And and they seem to be pretty well engaged. My, my daughter, because she kind of was trying to figure out her way after she graduated, we you know worked on. She wanted to get into social work, so I helped her with the process of, of doing that. And then my younger son has his own creative outlet, outlets. He's just a marketing for a company, but then he's, he's founded kind of an arts organization that publishes a magazine or has until COVID and, and things like that. The only story I'll talk about all three of them is whenever I take them to the airport, I always drop them off and I say, how much money do you have on you? <laughs> and very with the number is like six dollars so i know that good old dad is going to fork over a couple of 20s right on the spot <laughs> my understanding is that pete continued to live at home for quite a while after he made the, the decision to leave college to continue pursuing a career with his band how is that dynamic how was it for you and how would you recommend that people approach you treat them a little bit like like adults and, and he wasn't around that much but he lived on the his room was on the third floor and the steps to the third floor were kind of creaky and are outside where my wife and I were sleeping. So whenever he came in late, he would try to go up the stairs as quietly as he could, but invariably it would creak. And my wife and I would at least look at each other as well. He's home now. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that we would go chastise him for it. We would just know 
you know, whenever he was home. It was fine. I mean, he but but he did his own thing when he even living at home. I and mean, we did family stuff together as we always did. But when he was at home, he was still working to do what he wanted to do. Uh, you'd mentioned before uh, some validation that Pete had with his career with the contract. Was there a point in time where you felt he had made it? I think when I went to the UK, as I mentioned, and just saw how their music kind of had had spread beyond the US that was one and I think the other as I mentioned was seeing him at the ballpark at, when that happened you know but they've had so many moments since then you know Grammy nomination they played at Obama's first inauguration you know we, we met the vice pro we spent some time with the vice president you know it was great it's wonderful so my understanding is that in the absence of our current democratic presidential nominee that Pete and Hillary and Andrew would not exist today. Is that right? That's right. My wife and I met working for him and got to know him obviously very well then. And while he was vice president, somebody from his office called because I guess the band was playing in Washington and we arranged for his granddaughters to go backstage and meet the band. He arranged for my son and my grandson and my wife and I, or his office did, and we went, came in and spent you know, a half hour with, with Biden at the White House, which was great. That's neat. Obviously, we're excited that he's the candidate, and we'll be more excited, hopefully, when he wins. Have you stayed in touch over the years more recently? Yeah, we used to see him when he would come here at a fundraiser once a year, or I saw a little bit of family in Delaware, and I, I would see him on occasion back back there. You know, we were scheduled to go to a fundraiser that I think was the last one in person one in Chicago. And that got canceled because of COVID, um, uh, right? Just as COVID was really reaching the national consciousness and they canceled it. I, I understand that she has some claims to fame on her side of the family as well. Uh, is it her father that was the U.S. ambassador to Sierra Leone? Her father's U.S. ambassador to Sierra Leone and Colin Powell is a cousin. Wow. That's something. Have you ever met him? Yes. That's great. Several times. He was, uh, I guess, in my chain of command. I, I was in the Marine Corps as an enlisted guy. So he was ah. many levels above me during uh, Desert Storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My wife's father passed away and he came and spoke. He was very gracious, very, very nice. What's one thing that you think he might have done differently as a father? And obviously my kids probably would certainly, my wife would probably disagree. I don't have a lot of regrets about it. I think one thing maybe would be that if something was irritating me, at some point it might come to a head and I might say or do, not not in terms of physicalness, but say or do something that might have been an overreaction to something that was going on. They always would say, if they see me grinding my teeth, they know trouble's ahead. That was your tell, huh? Yep. Uh, what are three words that you think your kids or your wife might use to describe your parenting style? I think laid back. I think tolerant. And I think just when I speak about tolerant, I, I, I'm not tolerant of them, but I think all of them are very tolerant of other people's lifestyles, habits, whoever they are, whatever they want to be, whatever they want to do. I think all of my kids are incredibly tolerant about that, which makes me incredibly proud. So, but I say if I had three words, I would go back to, I think, laid back, tolerant. And I think I was kind of fun. I don't know. Be curious to see what they would say about that. But I think I was kind of fun to be around. Uh huh. How were you fun? Oh, I would just do stupid things like, 
you know, Halloween, I would put a mask on and I would come to the front door and as if I were trick or treating and <laughs> pretend to scare them and <laughs> kind of things like, like, like that. Just silly, silly kind of thing. That's great. To, That's great. What's something that you might have learned from your kids or, or from being a father from that experience? You know, I think just as I say that they were pretty tall and I think I've learned and admired how they were, how they treated people. The one thing I know all three of them are incredibly good with people and are patient and thoughtful and kind of take care of people, maybe people they don't know way more than I would. And so I kind of learned a little bit from that and just how they deal with other other people. It's been interesting to see. Uh huh. Sounds like it's a common thread among all three of your children. Pete, being a more public figure, it's, it's easier to have visibility into some of the things he's done, but he's been uh, involved in a variety oh, of different yeah. charities and, and was apparently very ecologically conscious at a very young age as well. And it sounds like that would be uh, encouraging to see in your kids that they that they care so much. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, that you know, as I said, I'm proud of that trait in all of my kids. I think it's been nice to to see. What advice would you give to other fathers? I can say this, but I also have the benefit of hindsight with what I'm about to say, which is, you know, you really can't choose the path to where your children are going. I mean, I when the company that I was with was sold, I talked to, I think, a career counselor or a psychologist or someone just to kind of figure out what am I going to do now that the company I love being with was sold. And she said that she had a lot of clients in their 40s and 50s who had been really in effect program to be lawyers, doctors, whatever they were, investment bankers, bankers, whatever. And a lot of them, when they were 40 or 50, woke up and realized they're pretty unhappy with what they were doing, even though they were making money doing it. And that kind of confirmed to me that I didn't really want to do that with my kids if I could help it. And obviously, I say the benefit of hindsight, obviously, if Peter's band had not been successful or my younger son hadn't found a passion that worked for him and can pay the bills, he might be looking at me and saying, boy, why didn't you steer them more correctly? I still don't believe that's the right approach. I don't think it'll work. And my kids certainly are are living proof that letting them pursue their dreams does work, but it's not going to work for everybody. And as I say, what Peter did was he didn't just decide one day to be a musician. He from probably the time he was 13 or 14, did all the stuff that you need to do to be successful in the music business. Yeah. And you touched on that earlier. And just to, if you wouldn't mind, if we could explore that just a a little bit further, is there, is there anything that you did as a father, uh, either you think uh, perhaps by example or by tutelage, uh, by instruction that helped to instill that, that sense of, uh, work ethic or hustle, time management, all of these characteristics that it seems like Pete has put into play in order to help increase the likelihood of success in his chosen career. Now, he saw me working and being successful and doing something that that he knew I really liked doing. And I think, you know, if there was anything that came back, then it would be that, that I suspect that he wanted to then say, well, I want to do something that I can be successful at. And maybe that drove him a little bit more to to go do that that kind of stuff. I, I think it still requires that hustle even nowadays. It's certainly uh, potentially easier to get yeah. your music out there with YouTube and all of these SoundCloud and all of these other channels. But you're also competing with many more people trying to do that. 
Uh, right. I had talked with one guy who has made a career out of his YouTube channel, but he also talked about the five or seven years that he had spent building that and living on virtually nothing with his wife supporting him. So people look at the overnight viral video, but they don't look at the seven years that went ahead of that. Exactly. Exactly. Anything else come to mind? Any other uh, advice or things that you think might be helpful for fathers that are listening? I guess just a, a story to add on to, to provide some color, maybe to some of other things I said. You know, Peter early on was a, a vegetarian and then a vegan. And, and so, you know, again, when you're getting back to tolerance and understanding, you know, it wasn't that we didn't kind of take issue with it, even though kind of it was way early on for people ended up being vegan. So we didn't kind of, you know, let him do his, do his thing and, you know, eat Cheerios with almond milk or whatever, soy milk or whatever, things like that. Uh-huh. My yeah. father, of course, offered him a hundred dollars to drink a glass of milk and he turned it down. <laughs> how, how old was uh, Pete when he was? He had to be, uh, you know, 15 maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's fairly common nowadays, but I could see back I forget exactly how old, right. how old Pete is. That would have been pretty unusual. Were there any areas where it was a hard no or off limits where you were just like, this is a firm line? These are particular lines that we that we won't let you cross. No, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, as I said, you know, Peter was, you know, less of a traditional student than others, but but he never got into the issues that other kids have gotten into, whether it's excessive drinking or drugs or things like that. It seems like him and his band members at Fall Out Boy have, have managed to navigate a pretty good line and avoid a lot of the traps that some other bands have fallen into. They are, and I think that they really have, are a good partnership together because I think they like one another and I think they respect what everybody does that's really worked out very well for, for all four of them. That's great. Well, thank you for your time. You've been very generous with your time. Sure. I've really enjoyed talking with you. I think you're an excellent father, and, and you've got three wonderful kids yeah. uh, that are proof of it. Well, fortunately, don't have, I, I gathered part of this. You don't have to ask them how much of what I said is true, so I guess I'm safe. You're off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> well, please uh, pass along my thanks to Pete as well. I, uh, I uh, enjoy his sure. music, and uh, I, th- I think he's been a good example for other people that want to pursue that type of career. I mean, his work ethic, his hustle, and especially his approach to doing it, you know, avoiding the party scene. And like I said, the drugs and all of the other pitfalls that unfortunately take down some of the people that we would love to have today had they not gone down those paths. Right, exactly. Yeah, Uh, it must make you very proud. Yes. Well, thanks again, Pete. All right, my pleasure. Take care. Have a good one. Yep, bye. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Mr. Pete Wentz, an excellent father. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a moment to post a review on iTunes. It only takes a minute, and it truly helps the podcast. You can also help by telling a friend about it or posting about the podcast on social media. We love to hear from you, so if you have a guest idea, feedback, or just want to reach out and say hello, send us a note at info, I-N-F-O, at fatheringexcellence.com or use the contact form on our website. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Remember to make a plan to exercise your right to vote, and, most importantly, remember to spend some time today with your child. It goes by in the blink of an eye.